Okay, if there's anything this book teaches us, the one thing we do recognize immediately is that it shows us that God superintends all of our affairs even when some of the affairs have results that aren't so good. This is a story about life. This is a story about death. This is a story about perseverance. This is a story about people who endured some hardship but yet found that the hand of God was as strong upon them for good just as the adversaries were opposed to them in evil ways. Like figures on a chessboard, God is able to use our circumstances to get us into place. Now you may wonder, why is this book in the Bible in the first place and in this position in the Bible? Because in the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, Ruth is directly connected with the Song of Solomon and the Book of Lamentations. All of the smaller books are together. But the reason it's placed here in our Bibles is because this is during the period of the Judges, the book preceding it, and it gives us the lineage of King David. A very important book. And so when we think about providence or God's ability to see the end from the beginning, we see that God has divine guidance and care that he gives to us because he takes thought of the end in view. So Even when you don't see the end and you don't see the conclusion of the matter and you're unable to see an exit sign, God really has fixed the ending from the beginning And for you as a believer in Christ, you need to know that the ending for you is always victory. That's what God has done. So it says here in verse 1, this was the days when the judges ruled. The historical setting is that this occurred some 1,200 years or so, somewhere along the line there, before Jesus was born. And these judges were individuals that had supernatural power. The anointing would come upon them and they would become other people. And it wasn't just for men. This power would come on women. The one thing I do know in looking at the book of Judges is the children of Israel were on a roller coaster ride very often. They would do good as long as the judge was alive and then they would backslide because of their backslidden condition. God would raise up an adversarial nation to come against them. They would cry out to God for deliverance. God would raise up another judge. And Judges chapter 2 verse 16 says that the Lord raised up these saviors in order to help them resist the enemy. But I've always believed that the, the book of Judges is like the Old Testament version of the book of Acts. Amazing things take place in the book of Judges. You got a man by the name of Caleb who already was strong in his old age and he told Moses and them, give me this mountain, let me go up and fight. In the early chapters of Judges, Caleb and his men go up against the sons of Anak, a giant, and defeated them. Let's not forget that Deborah is in this book, a prophetess, a woman anointed of God who would sit under a tree and the men and women would come to her for wisdom and she would give them counsel about what they should do, should not do. Gideon was a man that did not believe that he had come from a family of means. He looked down on his social status. He felt unworthy and unqualified to be used by God. Nevertheless, the angel came to him and said, Hail, you mighty man of valor. 
which teaches us that you should never look at your social station in life to determine what it is that God can do for you. These judges were powerful. You think of Samson. Here was a man that took the jawbone of a donkey and went out and defeated thousands of people because the Spirit of God came upon him. He, he, he was a man with tremendous strength, but at the same time, one major weakness, a love for ladies. And when you read the book of Judges, in particular the chapters that have Samson's name in it, you'll notice how many chapters begin with him chasing a lady. In the end, this man's strength was in his, his hair, the length of his hair, because it had never been cut. But with his head in Delilah's lap, he shared with her the secret of his strength. She betrayed him. The Bible says that the men came in to grab Samson. Samson jumped up and he shook like he was ready to go and fight, but he did not know that God had departed from him. How sad, and how bad. That God would have departed from somebody and he would not have known that the presence of God was not with him. So the book of Judges has a number of people that were strong. We could say a few things about Jephthah, the son of a prostitute who was ran out of the house by his own siblings, only later to be recalled because he was a warrior and God still used him to do supernatural things. But with all the power that the judges had, they had difficulties. But the people trusted in them. You'll see in the next sentence in verse 1, it says there was a famine in the land. The judges ruled. They had the ability to push back the Moabites and other people. But they had no ability to keep the famine from coming. So despite their power and their anointing, they were still human, and there are certain things that humans can't do. The famine came to the land. Now, famine is a terrible situation to have to be in because a famine will lead you to make decisions quickly. Sometimes they'll be good. Sometimes they're, they're, they're bad. But a famine is a shortage of food. It's an, abs an absence of nourishment that is needed for a person to live. In 1845, Ireland had the Great Potato Famine. In the autumn of that year, a farmer or farmers discovered that there was a blight on their potatoes and that they were inedible. And over the next few years, over a million people died of starvation. More than two million people emigrated to the United States of America. There's no telling how many people in this town and in this county have ancestors that came because of a famine. And it was this kind of a famine, as difficult as it was, that led Elimelech to begin to think about his own family. Because when you're lacking something and you need something and you're looking at a wife and your children that are hungry, you start thinking about decisions that need to be made quickly. And a famine was not unique to them. Abraham went through a famine. Isaac went through a famine. Jacob and Joseph both endured a famine, but in every situation we discover that God was able to take care of them. God had preserved for them the ending all the way back in the beginning so that Joseph was able to say, God sent me before you in order to preserve posterity for you. I don't ever want you to think that just because you are lacking something that God is lacking something. God has everything that he needs. He simply needs us to trust him and rely on his ability to get it to us. 
A famine can be tough. Father, how are we going to pay these bills? You see the, 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 the dearth of health in my body. Lord, how are you going to work this out? Father, you see the difficulties on my job, the employees that I'm not getting along with, the boss that doesn't like me, the one that I don't like. How are you going to solve this? God is strong enough to be able to help you when you feel like you're in a famine. You just have to be careful about the decisions that you make. Well, this man, Elimelech, he's got that family there. All of Bethlehem, Judah, and they decided to go to the country of Moab. Now, Moab is an interesting place, primarily because Moab was the place where Moses died, the place where he was buried. Moab was also one of those territories like Ammon that was not a part of the the area of land that was given to the tribes of Israel. It's not part of the promised land. You say, why is that? Well, if you remember the story of Lot, you know that Lot was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and and the Lord told him, said, get out and don't look back. And they took off running, he and his wife and his daughters, they're moving as fast as they can, and then Lot realized that he doesn't hear the pitter-patter of his wife's feet anymore. And I don't know if he backed up and, and, and felt her and touched or backed up till he could see her, but I know he never turned around because the Lord had told him, don't look back. And I don't even know if he stopped to find out what happened. Because when God's in the process of saving you, you don't need to turn around and see why everybody else is losing out with God when God's telling you to get to the high place. But when Lot and his daughters got to the high hill and they looked out from the hill and saw the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, everything was smoldering and there was fires bursting out of the earth and fire and brimstone was coming down. And they were looking at that and oh my goodness, what is this? But that was because of sin. A sin so bad that even to this day, the sin is named after that town. And those daughters who had been in that place so long and had acquired some of those habits, beliefs, they said to one another, our dad doesn't have any more sons. We don't want his name to disappear from the earth. Why don't we get dad drunk and then each of us will take our turn with him? Can you imagine such wickedness? That's exactly what they did. The end product of that was both of the daughters ended up being with child. One gave birth to Ammon. The other gave birth to Moab. When you read Deuteronomy, because of the way the Moabites had treated the Israelites, the Lord had said in Deuteronomy 23, he said, up to the 10th generation, I do not want a Moabite to come into the congregation of Israel. I don't want their presence here. I don't want you yoked to them. But yet here we have a story where a man is thinking about a place to go to alleviate the burden of the famine from his family. And going to Moab wasn't a sin. As I said, Moses died in Moab and was buried there. The people mourned. That wasn't the problem. The issue That if you're going to go into the country of Moab, you have to remember the covenant you have with God that even though you're in Moab, you're not a Moabite. If 
First John teaches us we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We go and we buy gas like everybody else. You shop in the same grocery stores as people who do not know God. You walk up and down the same streets. You cut your grass like people who do not know God, but you don't act like them because the culture of Christians is different than the culture of people that don't know God. As Christians, we think differently. We act differently. In the kingdom of God, we don't promote any nationality or race. We promote promote Christ. That's what's the most important thing. So this man said, let's let's go to the country of Moab and and his family. They were all four. They made their way down there. And you can see in verse 10, the name of the the head of the family, his name was Elimelech. Now, that's an interesting name. If you look at Judges 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel because there was no authority, no power figure, no ruling monarch. Everybody made their own decisions about what was right and what was wrong. That's why when you read the book of Judges, you'll see them fighting, but you won't always see them pronouncing the law to people, teaching them the instruction out of the law. But they're using their power to resist the enemy. And now we have a man whose name is Elimelech and Elimelech in Hebrew means my God is king. Eli, my God, Melech is king. Every time this man's name was mentioned, it was a testimony to the fact he's not some renegade. He's not some rebel. He's not some independent man. He's a person who can recognize that God is the sovereign ruler over his life, whether he's in Moab or in Bethlehem, Judah. Can you say that? Is God so powerful in your life that he reigns in your heart through the word of God? Because if he's going to reign, he's got to reign through the mind of God that's placed inside of your heart. The scripture says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You cannot have the thoughts of God without reading the Bible. And how can God reign in your heart, in your life, without scripture? Colossians says, let the word of God dwell richly in your hearts in all wisdom. Is he your king? Well, if God's word means as much to you as it does to me, and I hope it does, then you know that means that his word, it constrains our behavior. We act a certain way because of Scripture. Scripture prohibits us from doing certain things. You say, give an example. There was a man in the Old Covenant whose name was Naboth. He lived during the time of Jezebel and Ahab. Naboth had a piece of ground that was directly next to the palace. Ahab recognized that that ground looked pretty good. He sent a servant down there to negotiate with with Naboth, and he said to Naboth, the king said he wants your ground, and he'll give you some real estate that's better than what you have now if you'll just trade. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Now, Ahab is the king. He could take it if he wanted to. But he comes to him negotiating, and he says, He's going to give you ground that's better than what you have. Well, if what you have is better than what I have, why do you want to trade down? See? It wasn't about that at all. 
It's just the fact that it was next to the palace. He was the king. He should be able to get exactly what he wants. And that's what Jezebel's mentality was. Jezebel said to him, aren't you the king? If you're the king, you don't ask somebody, can you have it? You take it from them. He's your loyal subject. That's what she said. But here's what Naboth said to the king. I cannot sell you this land because in Leviticus, it says God prohibits us from taking our inheritance, the land, and selling it. We are required by law to ensure that the land stays inside our tribe so that even after we have died, our children can still have this in our tribe. Ahab knew that, but he didn't care about the law of God. He didn't care about the word of God. He just wanted to know if the man was weak enough to go forward with the plan. But he was a man whose life was governed by the word. And he said, the Lord forbid me that I should do that. That's a person who can be a model for us as a Christian. When we think of God being the king. Would you sacrifice your inheritance? Would you give up the things that are precious to you and to God? The things that God has sacrificed. A lot of people have done it. Jesus died on the cross in order to provide you a spiritual inheritance, a great inheritance, one that causes him to lavish you with riches of grace and mercy, one that makes it possible for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, makes it possible for you to enjoy the joy of the Lord and to be healed by his mighty power when his hand touches you. There are a lot of people that have walked away from the inheritance that God has given to them simply because the adversary offered something better. Devil came to Jesus. He said, uh, Lord, all the kingdoms of the world I'll give to you if you just bow down and worship. Now he's talking to the man that made the heavens and the earth. <laughs> You're going to offer him a few kingdoms. The Lord said, Satan, get behind me. But how many people have we met that have sacrificed their heritage? There have been people that were raised in church. Raised in the knowledge of God. People that had a history of walking with God, but, but they made a, 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 a choice, a conscious choice to walk away from scripture because of money. Sometimes they change geography and they take a new job and go to a certain place. And once they get there, they don't want their peers to know that they have a relationship with God. So they become like a chameleon and they blend in and they sacrifice the heritage they had. Best thing you can do whenever you meet new people is let them know you love God immediately. Because the sooner you let them know that, then that's going to be an opportunity for you to continue to live this life in front of them. And they can pay attention to you. There should be no ambiguity at all. Your conversation shouldn't be vague. Your conversation should be seasoned with grace, knowing how to give an answer to people according to the word of God. Naboth said, no, I can't do that because the word prohibits me from doing that. So we don't lie. We hold to the word of God. We don't fornicate outside of marriage. We hold to the word of God. We're not going to turn from Christianity to accept some other religion or faith because we're not going to sacrifice our inheritance. Christ bled too much for you, for me. Lemelech was his name. In a world where there was no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Well, if he lived in Moab but maintained his relationship with God as Naomi did, then I guess we have to consider ourselves. I think we live in a nation today where people believe there is no God, no king. 
Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. You've seen the old bumper stickers. If it feels good, do it. It's about sensation, emotion. And in the culture today, the culture doesn't care about the covenant of God. Nevertheless, we have the example here. Hold fast to God. Prove that which is good. Don't be deceived. We know that the change of mind is important for the Christian because the adversary wants our young people as fast as he can get them. Who would have ever thought in ancient times that one day it would be legal to abort babies up to nine months in the womb? Who would have ever thought that? If you told somebody in ancient times that, they would say, you, you have lost your mind. That will never be legal. But legal minds ratified it. We're killing them as they're trying to come into the world. But, but who would have ever thought that there would be a point in time where we would look at someone who's elderly and say, we have spent too much money on this man or this woman. We should go ahead and gently take them out of this world. Euthanasia. Now we're killing them on the other end. And then look at what sin does to everybody in between. Wages of sin is death. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We may never understand the minds of sinners and the mind of culture, but we do know that the God of the world has blinded the minds of these people to the truth. However, we understand we're in the world, but not of it. We serve a greater king. He sits on the throne of our heart. He leads and guides us. Don't sacrifice because the culture says that you should. Our young ladies... Hold on to your heritage. One day when you cross the threshold and jump the broom and say, I do. A man will have you and love you. You'll be the first one that he has known and, and vice versa. But the culture says, no, explore. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but in one of, one of the other towns, I, I had a, somebody call me one time, wanted me to talk to some people. And, and I didn't really get involved with it, though. But they were telling me that, that they had uncovered in, in the school where the young girls and boys, they were keeping a list of all the people they were having physical relations with. And, and they, as they were going over this with me and telling me all about this, I was thinking, wow, where are the parents at with all of this going on, you see? When it comes to the scripture and the culture, very often the culture has more influence than the scripture because the scripture is not in the public forum like it used to. And if you really think about it, the pastor and the church only has people for a couple of hours each week. But the culture has people hour after hour. Limelech and his family went down here. Into Moab, and then of course you can see verse 2, it says they continued there. So however bad it was, they stayed. They thought to themselves, this is not any worse than the famine we were experiencing in Bethlehem, Judah. However, verse 3 says, Elimelech died. You know the beautiful thing about this is that Elimelech and Naomi both had a relationship with God, and even though he died, she didn't lose her relationship with God. 
Sometimes you can have a family where you have one core person, one individual who's the pillar of the whole house. And if the pillar ever dies, drops dead, gives up the ghost, everybody else stops serving God. It didn't happen here. Naomi had a relationship with God. She held on to God. Now, one of our former presidents just lost his wife of 73 years. They had known each other for 76 years. But I want you to think about that for a second. Seven decades with one person. He couldn't even remember what it was like to be single again. He couldn't even remember what his life was like without her. He knows now. But think about that. People lose a spouse every day. But you still need to hold on to God because you can live single and still love God and have God. You don't have to have somebody in your life in order to be happy. You can have God. Now, Naomi didn't fall apart. She didn't throw a tantrum. She didn't start screaming. She still had two sons that were with her. It was a patriarchal environment. Undoubtedly, she needed to have money to take care of herself, and her sons were working and looking after her and everything. But verse 4 makes it very plain. They took wives of the women of Moab. Now, that is a very questionable thing. Why take wives of the Moabites? When God has said in Deuteronomy 23, I don't want the Moabites to enter into the congregation of Israel up to 10 generations. I don't know if it's been 10 generations yet. However, even if it had, the next question or the next statement to make is very simply this. People will marry the ones with whom you have them living, among whom you have them living. But if a person decides they want to move to New York, the chances are greater that somebody's going to marry somebody from New York. If a person moves to South Dakota, the chances are great that a person's going to marry somebody from South Dakota because relationships are established with people that you see every single day. They took wives of Moab. I don't know if these ladies knew God or had a covenant with God or a relationship with God. If they converted, and we know Ruth did, then it doesn't matter. Because the Bible is very plain. If somebody walks away from their idol and converts to Jehovah, it doesn't matter. However, what if they or one of them wasn't a believer in the beginning? Well, that takes us to the next thing. Paul said, don't be unequally yoked. Look for somebody that believes like you. A Christian should marry in the Lord. But how many times have we found that Christians will marry unbelievers or Protestant will marry a Catholic and, and nobody thinks about how we're going to handle the kids when they get older. How are we going to raise them? And then suddenly, the, if you have two sinners that get married, then one person gets saved and then the other says, I didn't get with you. I don't want a Bible thumper. I'd rather be alone than have to be in the house with somebody that believes in God. And you've seen a lot of marriages fall apart because Jesus entered put somebody's life together. So we encourage people. If you believe in God for someone in your life and the opportunity does come, find somebody that believes in God. Now, I've, I've, I had never heard anybody say this before. I was saying this as, as a younger man, but I really do believe that most people marry folks who are where they are spiritually. That is to say, 
a person who's only interested in the physical and the sensual aspect, they'll find somebody who's only interested in physical and sensual things. Somebody who, you know, religion is important to them to some degree, they'll find somebody religion is important to them to some degree. Somebody who, who really doesn't care but just goes to church, they'll find somebody who really doesn't care but just goes to church. Somebody who's on fire for God and loves the Lord with their whole heart, they'll look for that kind of person. They won't look for somebody that's cold and lukewarm. People usually find somebody that are like they are. Now, I know people will tell you that opposites attract, but that's not always the way it works in the kingdom of God. Most people in the kingdom of God want somebody around them who believes like them so that they don't have to deal with a conscience that's condemning them and making them feel shame. So they took these wives of Moab and they settled in and dwelt there for a decade at least, verse number four tells us. Now, let me move on to say something else here. If, if we're going to think about a judge or a savior, somebody that can help us in a time of famine, we need somebody like Jesus. Because Jesus is able to make the famine go away. He's big enough and strong enough to fight any enemy. And there's no enemy bigger and stronger than he is. Put your trust and confidence in him. When the adversary comes in like a flood against you, you can stand up and rebuke him and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Go. See? You can resist him. You can fight him. Paul said that in the Ephesian letter. He said, resist the devil. You have to do that. Don't give any place to him. The moment you give place to him, he comes in and he takes over. James makes it very plain. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord, but you've got to fight the devil and push back. Scripture says he's like a lion going back and forth looking for anybody that he can devour. If he finds a weakling or a wounded, offended, embittered person, He'll isolate him from the herd. He'll get that man or woman out of church. And then he and every devil will jump on him and just turn him into the worst kind of person on the planet in a backslidden condition. Bible is very plain on this. We need a savior. Somebody with power. Somebody that can deliver us and help us. And the other thing this book certainly does show us with these judges is that Salvation is something that is continually needed. Salvation from sin, salvation from self, salvation from trouble. So that means if if salvation is something that's continually needed throughout Scripture, then you can expect that there's trouble that's perpetual throughout Scripture. The devil is persistent. And just because you lift your hands and say you love the Lord, that does not mean he's going to walk Away, but if you lift your hands and say, I love the Lord, and you resist him long enough, he is going to leave. He came to Jesus out there during the temptation. After 40 days, he had to leave. He kept coming over and over and over again. And in this account with Ruth, we're going to find that there's a lady who stands up in her faith, turns her back on her past, walks away from the idols and the idolatry of the Moabite religion and marches right on into history. And every time we talk about David and talk about Christ, we've got to talk about Ruth. She's one of the few ladies in the lineage of uh, Matthew chapter 1 that we have to talk about. So This book, powerful book, tells a woman God can do great things if a lady will only believe trust and know that God is great. 
we want to prepare for communion. And we'll ask John to go in there and get us ready for that. But we're going to have a word of prayer because who knows what this coming week is going to be like for you. Adversary, he is going to want to jump on you just as sure as Monday is coming in a few hours. But how many of you know he's defeated? He's defeated. He's defeated. Has no power, has no anointing. He's totally, totally defeated. But let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We love you. We honor you. We thank you because your name means everything to each one of us, oh God. So, fathers, we prepare our hearts this evening. To think about this wonderful book and meditate on it, we know, Lord, that you're superintending our life. You're governing and guiding our steps. Even when we don't know what road to take, we know that you're still leading us. We're happy about that. We can have a smile on our face to know that even though we may feel like we're lost, we are never lost. Because, God, you're able to guide us by the power of the Holy Ghost. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen.